Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring in offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the word as we look at it together. Well, I want to welcome you as well. Good morning. Welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church. Welcome to everybody who's here on the Modesto campus in the Worship Center. Welcome to everybody who's joining us live online. We're excited to be with you wherever you are. And if it is your very first time at Big Valley Grace Community Church, we want you to know we're really glad that you're here. Welcome. We're very excited to hear. Thank you, my friend. And you may have come into the room beat up. We hope you leave built up. You may have come in beat up, but we hope that you leave built up. Built up because you've been with the Lord. Built up because you've been with this family. Built up because you've been with a group of people who are worshiping Jesus Christ, who are using their gifts and serving him, who are bringing gifts to him, who are being in his word together in community. So no matter how you came in, we hope that you leave better by being here today with the family of God. We're in the book of Mark for the summer. We're gonna walk through the gospel of Mark for the summer. And every day, you have the opportunity to read a portion of the gospel of Mark. It's 16 chapters. We're gonna do the reading plan over eight weeks, so you'll read two chapters in a week. It's just a few verses each day. But what I wanna encourage you the most about is that you would know that every day when you read those verses, you're reading those verses in unity with your church family. And that might be a great encouragement to you to know that your entire church family is reading those same verses on that same day. And in the same way that God can speak to you through his word, through those verses, that God can speak to your entire church family on the same day through the same verses. Really excited to read the gospel together, so take advantage of that. Pastor Gordon's communion setup was an excellent introduction to what we're gonna do in our time in the Word today, really setting up the gospel. And so I wanna encourage you to take your Bible and, and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, we wanna solve that problem today. Here on the Modesto campus, this room that says the altar room, it's a room we pray for people in after the gatherings. We have Bibles there also. So if you need prayer, come. If you need a Bible, come. We wanna give you a Bible as a free gift. It's our gift to you, they're nice Bibles. If you're with us online, just reach out to Pastor Brandon Peterson, our online campus pastor and the online team. We wanna get you a Bible, we'll send you one. We want everyone to have a copy of the Word of God. The Gospel starts out in this way. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in the next 15, there are the first 15 verses, which is what we're gonna look at today. What Mark is doing here is he's setting up a case for this right here. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the first 14 verses build the case up 
to verse 15, where we see the first glimpse of Jesus speaking and sharing what the gospel is. When you read a book through its whole, like we're gonna do together this summer, we're gonna read the gospel of Mark through as a whole. When you read it as a whole, you can see it as a whole and you can understand it as a whole. And one of the things that's really interesting about the gospel of Mark is the first eight chapters swing to the next eight chapters right at the end of Mark chapter eight. And it's an incredible moment. And Jesus asks a question. He says, who do people say that I am? And his disciples say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah or a prophet. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter looks at Jesus and says, you are the Christ. And it's like the gospel of Mark just swings wide open at that moment, right at the end of, God, of Mark chapter eight. Right after that, Jesus says that the son of man is gonna suffer. He calls them to follow him in that. And it's this incredible moment. The apostle Peter it's likely the Apostle Peter had a very significant influence on Mark to whereas Mark writes the Gospel of Mark that we know as the Gospel of Mark, he's really gaining his information from the firsthand account of the Apostle Peter. And so even here, we see the opening line points to the confession Peter made. You are the Christ. And so Mark's now writing, probably heavily influenced from Peter, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When you compare the four gospels, you'll learn a lot of things. I would encourage you as you read through the gospel of Mark, ask questions. Ask questions and then see how those questions are answered in the gospels. I'll give you one question as an example. <clears throat> how do they begin? How does the Gospels begin? You know, you learn a lot from the first verse. The Gospel of Matthew begins in this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It is so clear right in the very first verse of the Gospel of Matthew that he is trying to prove the genealogy, that Christ is the heir of David. He's the heir of Abraham. In other words, he's the rightful heir to the throne. And you see that very clearly. In the first verse, Luke, his first verse is this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. What is Luke doing? He's compiling the story. He interviewed eyewitnesses and he compiled them together. It's really clear to see what is Luke trying to accomplish. He says it right in the very first verse. The first verse in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right there, in the very first verse of the Gospel of John, it is very clear, John is trying to show Jesus is God. That we might believe that Jesus is God. Well, here we have the first verse in the Gospel of Mark, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As we get into this text, the first 15 verses are kind of two halves. It's like they fold right in the middle. The first half is all about John the Baptist. And there's a pattern, there's an ABC pattern to it. And then there's a second half, and the second half's all about Jesus the Christ. And the, the pattern is mirrored. There's an ABC pattern to it, and you'll see it really clearly as we walk through. Because I'm gonna say the same statements about John the Baptist and then the statements about Jesus the Christ, they mirror each other. But before we get into that, I wanna share with you that in these first 15 verses, 
there are seven witnesses that are brought forward to really set up the case of this right here, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm gonna read to you all seven of those witnesses. You'll hear them as they come up in the story, but I'm gonna read to you in order. Witness number one is Isaiah the prophet. Witness number two is John the Baptist. Witness number three is actually Jesus the Christ himself. Witness number four is God the Holy Spirit. Witness number five is God the Father. Witness number six is a little odd and a little different. It'll make sense when we get there, but it's Satan and the demons. Witness number seven is the angels of God. Seven witnesses are brought forward. Mark does this in the first 15 verses to set up this right here. Proof that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we'll begin with our pattern, the two halves. We'll begin with the first half, the ABC pattern here that goes with John the Baptist. It begins with God the Father speaks about John the Baptist. That's the first part of the pattern. God the Father speaks about John the Baptist. We see this in verse two. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So God the Father is speaking through his prophet Isaiah. And this is the message. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. We learn a lot in this couple verses right here. We learn that God the Father is sending. He's sending a messenger, and the messenger he's sending is John the Baptist, and we'll see him. And he's also sending his son before your face to prepare your way. And so the father's not only sending a messenger ahead, but he's sending his son. And to prepare for what? What is it that John the Baptist is to prepare for? Well, to prepare people for Jesus and the message of Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ. And so we see that God the Father speaks about John the Baptist. And then we see an introduction to the person in the work of John the Baptist. We see this in John or in Mark chapter one, verse four. It says, John appeared. Now, here's our second witness. First witness was Isaiah the prophet. Now we have John the Baptist. And John the Baptist comes on the scene. And what is he doing? What can we learn as an introduction to the person and work of John the Baptist? What do we find out about him? Well, we find out that he's baptizing in the wilderness. And he's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is what John is doing. This is who he is, John the Baptist. He is baptizing in the wilderness he is proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is the first of the baptisms we see that are in this text. And it's a very specific baptism. It's the baptism of John the Baptist, and it was for a very specific reason. He was proclaiming to people to be baptized, water baptized, that they might repent for the forgiveness of their sins. Now he makes a big scene in this in verse five. It says, all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So as the father had spoken about John the Baptist, that he was sending a messenger ahead of Jesus the Christ, it has come fulfilled. And we see that as John the Baptist goes forward, he causes quite a scene. All the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and they were being baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Now in verse six, we find out some very interesting information about John the Baptist. Now John was clothed with camel's hair. That sounds very itchy <laughs> and uncomfortable. Maybe some of you are wearing camel's hair today. 
and you can, afterwards, you can come see me in the Welcome Center and you can let me know. He's wearing a belt, a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. Now I know there's many in our church who are trying alternative diets, but this seems just really, really strange. What is this diet of locusts? Do you eat them alive? As you, do they locust while they are in you? Like, are they still locusting while you eat them? Or do you have to like kill them first before you eat them? It's just very strange. Locusts? I'm not a big fan of bugs. Definitely not eating them. And here this guy, so strange, he's wearing camel's hair. He's got a leather belt around his waist. He's eating the strange things of locusts and wild honey. He's out in the wilderness and he's calling people to himself. And he's proclaiming that they would come to be baptized and that they would repent of their sins. What? A scene, what a scene that John the Baptist creates. So we see that God the Father speaks about John the Baptist and then we see an introduction to the person and work of John the Baptist. Again, our pattern is forming, first on John the Baptist and then we'll see it on Jesus. And then we see a summarized message of John the Baptist. As he's proclaiming these things, what is it he's saying? So we see this summarized message of John the Baptist in verse 7. It says, and he preached, saying, after me comes he. So now John the Baptist introduces the person of Jesus the Christ as the next witness. So, so far as we've had Isaiah the prophet, John the Baptist, now Jesus the Christ shows up as a witness, a really a witness for himself. And what does he say about him? He, say, he says, who is mightier than I. Mightier than I. What does that mean? Well, when John was proclaiming, he was proclaiming a baptism for the repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. But John the Baptist didn't save anybody. John the Baptist is not the Christ. John the Baptist is not the Redeemer. In fact, later in the Gospel of John, later on, we can see that John the Baptist actually says, I must decrease and he, Jesus, must increase. The purpose of John the Baptist coming on the scene was not to be, have for John the Baptist to become famous. The purpose of John the Baptist coming was to point people to Jesus Christ. And in this moment, he says, he who is mightier than I. He's mightier than I. Then he, then he gives an illustration. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. Tying someone's shoes seems like a lowly job. He's saying, I'm not even worthy to do the lowly job of tying the shoes. And then he explains, how is it that Jesus the Christ is mightier than John the Baptist? And he explains, he says, I've baptized you with water. He proclaimed a baptism of the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I've baptized you with water. But he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When a person comes to know Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ gives the Holy Spirit to them. And what John the Baptist is acknowledging is, I can't do that. I can't give you the Holy Spirit. And there's one that's coming after me, and he is gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The fact that Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, can give the Holy Spirit is proof that he is the Son of God. If Jesus was not the Son of God, he could not give the Holy Spirit of God. And this right here is one of the proofs that Jesus is the Son of God. How does Mark begin? He says, in the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he's giving a proof for it. 
Now I wanna talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit here for a moment. What is it? I wanna share three things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit so we can understand what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift given at the moment of salvation. So when a person repents and believes in Jesus Christ as Lord God and Savior from sin, Jesus gives as a gift the Holy Spirit of God to that person's life. If we want to look at that more, you can see Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. The second thing we can understand about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is a seal, a seal guaranteeing the inheritance of redemption. What does that mean? That means as a person repents and believes in Jesus Christ as Lord God and Savior from sin, Jesus Christ gives the gift of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is the proof, it's the seal that guarantees Christ will complete the work of redemption in that person's life. Every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ and has been redeemed by Jesus has the Holy Spirit in them and the presence of the Holy Spirit in them is the proof that Jesus will complete the work of redemption in their life. Third thing we can know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is it is a person who is God. The Holy Spirit is a person who is God, the Holy Spirit of God, who leads a believer in godly living. So not only is the gift of the Holy Spirit given and acts as a seal guaranteeing the redemption, but the Holy Spirit is a person who is in us to guide us and to teach us in what we should think and what we should say and how we should behave and how we should live so that we live in a way that is godly. And if you wanna look more about that, you can see that in Galatians chapter five, verses 16 through 26, we see the fruit of the spirit in contrast to the works of the flesh. So we have the first half of this text. It's all about John the Baptist. God the Father speaks about John the Baptist. There's an introduction to the person and work of John the Baptist and then there's a summarized message of John the Baptist. And before it hinges to the second half, the two characters meet. John the Baptist and Jesus the Christ come together in the text. And we see this in verse nine. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee who, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. What is this moment? We've already looked at two other baptisms and now there's a third baptism. The first baptism was John calling people to repent of their sins. Clearly, that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus was sinless. He would have no reason to repent of his sins, so his baptism must be different than that. The second baptism we see is actually the baptism Jesus gives people and it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the one who does that baptizing. He's the one who places the Holy Spirit of God into the lives of people as they repent and believe in him. So what is this baptism? Well, it's like Pastor Gordon shared. It's the beginning. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his baptism was chosen by Mark, who was influenced by Peter under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God as this gospel was written the baptism of Jesus Christ is the starting point. It's the starting point that is given for this gospel. Jesus is baptized. And it's the initiation of his ministry, but it's also the affirmation that he is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And we see that 
as we move forward in the text, which we're gonna do right now. So now we're gonna look at Jesus the Christ. We've looked at John the Baptist, we look at Jesus the Christ, and the pattern is identical, it's mirrored. It begins in this way. It'll sound very similar to what we've done already. God the Father now speaks about Jesus the Christ. God the Father speaks about Jesus the Christ, and it happens at the baptism of Jesus. In verse 11 it says, and a voice came from heaven, so God the Father now shows up. He's now our next witness. We've already had Isaiah the prophet, John the Baptist, Jesus the Christ, God the Holy Spirit. Now we have God the Father. So five witnesses have already shown up. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With, with you, I am well pleased. This is fascinating to me for a few reasons. One, I think it's really amazing the term that's given from the Father to Jesus the Son. You are my beloved son. The Father loves the Son. And he says, with you, I am well pleased. And I find that very interesting because I go, what's he done? What has Jesus done? He's not done any teaching yet. He's not done any miracles yet. He's certainly not gone to the cross yet and died for our sins and was buried in a tomb and was resurrected to new life and ascended to the Father. He's done none of those things. And yet in this moment, the Father looks at him and says, I'm well pleased. Well, what has happened? Well, the father sent him. We saw that from Isaiah the prophet. He was sent. And in addition to being sent, he's his beloved son. And that leads to the father saying, I'm well pleased with you. And I bring that up, maybe for you, that you might know that by being a child of God, you have the pleasure of the Father on your life. That by being the very nature of being a child of God, that you have the pleasure of God on your life. He says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God the Father speaks about Jesus the Christ. Then we get an introduction to the person and work of Jesus Christ, and it really is kind of strange that it starts this way. In verse 12, it says, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. I mean, that is a tough first day on the job. You're going right out into the wilderness. The spirit immediately drives him out into the wilderness. Now, what's so important about this is that we see that this is ordained by God. This moment is ordained by God. The Holy Spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, the Son of God, out into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit of God drives the Son of God out. We can see that is ordained by God. Why is that so important? It is so important because what comes next is hard. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. Now, God is not Satan. God does not do what Satan does. They're two different people. They do two different things. But what is very clear is that this moment is ordained by God, and what is very clear is that this moment has something very difficult in it. Now, Satan is the sixth witness that is brought in the first 15 verses. And you might be thinking, how is, how is it possible that Satan is a witness to the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Well, I think it's rather simple. When the real Son of God shows up, the real enemy shows up to face him. And the real Son of God has shown up and the real enemy has shown up to face him. And so by the very nature that Satan comes to face him, it is another proof that the real son of God showed up. 
The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And the angels are now the seventh witness that has been shared, that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, in this scene, for maybe some who are in the room right now, you might be going through something that's very difficult. And I wanna encourage you to consider the situation you're in may be ordained by God. It doesn't mean that God has done something evil, but maybe the situation you're in is ordained by God because we see a situation here that's ordained by God and it includes something that's very difficult. And you might be in a situation that's ordained by God and it's including something that is very difficult. Don't forget what we just looked at, that by being a child of God, you have his pleasure. And be reminded that you have the Lord's pleasure even when things are hard. So then, we have the God the Father speaks about Jesus the Christ, we have the introduction of the person and work of Jesus the Christ, and we have a summarized message of Jesus the Christ. What does Jesus say? What are the words that come out of his mouth? Remember, this whole thing is building up to him actually saying something. In the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, now we're gonna get to the point where we're gonna hear what he has to say. And these seven witnesses have all been shared. And now what is it? Well, in verse 14, we see the beginning. It says, now after John was arrested. Now, this line doesn't make any sense unless you read the other gospels because we don't, we don't understand what's the story. What, what happened to John the Baptist? Why did he get arrested? Well, you have to read the other gospels to find out what's going on here. But what I will make note of is this. It's like a bouncy ball. You know, I got a bunch of kids. There's balls everywhere. You know, this last week, I'm, I'm downstairs. Balls are flying from upstairs into the downstairs. They're, ban- they're, bounce- they're hitting lamps. They're hitting their sister. They're hitting me. Balls are flying everywhere. Bouncy balls are amazing. You bounce them, and they just boom. It's like they got more energy than when you started, and they're flying, and then they bounce again, and boom, it bounces, and the bouncy ball again is good. Boom, it bounces, and it just keeps bouncing. It's, every time it hits, it's boom. That's like the gospel of Mark. It's like a bouncy ball. It's moment after moment after moment after moment. It just keeps hitting, moment. Why, why would I say that? Do you realize like six months has already passed and we're at verse 14? This, when we read through the gospel together, you need to read like every verse. You, you might have missed like three weeks if you miss a verse in like the story. This story is moving so fast, Pastor Gordon calls it rapid-fire machine gun gospel. It's just boop, 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 boop. Some call it the shooting script, like a film. It's like the shooting script. It's just the action. What's the action? What's the action? What's the action? Well, here, man, this, this story, we're only 14 verses in, and this story has moved at like breakneck speed already. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. Okay, it's all been leading up to this moment in verse 15 and saying, what is it? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There it is. The first words of Jesus. If you wanna pay pay note to the first words, go look at the first words of Jesus in every of the four gospels. They're all different and they're all unique and they all explain something that the author is trying to communicate about why they wrote the gospel. So that'd be some good homework for you to do. Just go look at the first words of Jesus in every one of the four gospels. 
it will help you give you a clue as to why that gospel is being written. Here, we, cl- we see it clearly. The first verse was in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now the first words of Jesus, he's sharing the gospel. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we wanna see the whole, the whole book. We wanna see the gospel of Mark through these opening words of Jesus. There's three parts to what he just said. He said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. We'll just briefly look at these three parts as we close together. So the first word is this, the time is fulfilled. As you read through the gospels, you need to make note, anytime you see Jesus say, I came for this, this is why I came. Anytime you see that kind of language, you need to make note of it, because Jesus says it many times throughout the Gospels, I came for this reason, for this reason I came, the Son of Man came. The time is fulfilled. Jesus is saying, I'm here, I came, the time is now. The time is fulfilled. One of the places we see him share why he came in the gospel of Mark is in Mark chapter 10 verse 45 and in Mark 10 verse 45 that'll be July 9th in your reading plan so on July 9th we'll read all this together on July 9th he says for even as the son of man came why not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many the time is fulfilled Jesus came why he came not to serve not to not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the incredible things that happens when you read through the Gospel of Mark and you get to the end of chapter eight, like I said, he starts to talk about he's gonna suffer. And for eight chapters, he talks about how he's gonna suffer. And the theme of the suffering servant is a huge theme in the Gospel of Mark and it starts right in the middle of the book and finishes to the end. For even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, the time is fulfilled. What are the first words of Jesus? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That's word number two we're gonna look at. The kingdom of God is at hand. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm here, the kingdom of God is here also. The presence of Jesus is the presence of the kingdom of God. Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God. He's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. I'm here. The time is now. The kingdom is here. But not only is the kingdom here with Jesus in this text, but the kingdom's moving forward. Let's be reminded of what we just did together as a church family as we observed communion. Let's look at the text in Mark about communion. In Mark chapter 14, verses 20 and 23, and on July 20th, we'll be reading that together. On July 20th, we'll get to that text. It says, and he, Jesus, took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So the first words of Jesus in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he says, the time is now fulfilled The kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying the kingdom of God is present, but later he says, there's coming a moment where I'm gonna be in the kingdom of God. And when we see the gospels fill in all the details of this statement right here, there's a couple words that the other gospels add to it, and it's this. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you 
in the kingdom of God. Here we are, and we observe communion today, and we drank the cup. And we continue to do that because we're trying to be obedient to the command of Jesus to remember him. So we keep drinking the cup. We keep drinking the cup. We keep drinking the cup. Jesus isn't drinking the cup. He said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. He is waiting to drink the cup until he can drink the cup with us in the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but that is exciting. Jesus is waiting to drink. Here we are, we're drinking the cup, we're drinking the cup. He's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting to drink the cup until he can drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. I am so looking forward to that moment. I am so looking forward to seeing my Savior and my God pick up the cup. That's gonna be an amazing moment when our Lord picks up the cup. Incredible. So, we're seeing the gospel of Mark through these words that he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the third part, word number three. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, this is different than what John the Baptist did. John the Baptist was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What does Jesus add? He says, repent and believe. John the Baptist couldn't ask people to believe in him. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Son of God, and he's asking people to believe in him. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I wanna share with you a scene from the Gospel of Mark. It's a scene that helps us understand this third word, repent and believe in the gospel. And it's a scene, frankly, that helps us understand what kind of church are we? What kind of people, what kind of scene is this? We'll learn a lot about ourselves as we look at this text. It's in Mark chapter two, verses 15 through 17. And on June 10th, in our reading plan, we'll be reading these verses together. Look at this scene. It says, as he, Jesus, reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Anytime we see this term, tax collectors, sinners, the gospel sometimes throws a third term in there, and we see it in other places in the gospels, and it's the term prostitutes. And the reason I share that now is because in our culture, it helps us to understand a little bit better what is this group of people. Tax collectors, sinners. They're reclining with Jesus and with his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What is he doing? Does he not know what kind of people he is sharing a meal with? Does he not understand what kind of group this is? They're unclean. They're not presentable. They're not worthy to be with him. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. There's a dinner party going on, and it's a dinner party full of the sick. It's a dinner party full of sinners, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, 
you fill in whatever name you want to add to it. That's who this dinner party is. And that's the group of people Jesus decides to come have dinner with. He decides to come have dinner with the sick, with the sinners. Because he is the great physician and he is showing up to meet with those who need healing, who are sick, who are sinners. And there's a group of people who really don't like the fact Jesus is hanging out with the sick. He's hanging out with sinners. I want you to know, I'm really glad that at the dinner party I am at, Jesus showed up to. I am really glad that at the dinner party that I'm a part of, Jesus showed up to. Why would I say that? Because I understand who I am. And I understand which category I'm in. And I am so thankful that the, the dinner party that I am at, Jesus came to. And he came to my life as the great physician that he might heal me in my sickness. And the greatest sickness that I have is that I am a sinner and I need a savior. And I am so thankful that at the dinner party of my life, Jesus showed up. And I want you to know, if you're looking for a perfect pastor, I'm not the perfect pastor. I can give you some names of some great people that I admire very much. If you're looking for a perfect church, this is not a perfect church. I can give you the names of some great churches that I admire very much. But what this is and who I am, this is a collection of a dinner party that Jesus showed up to. And Jesus brought healing into my life. Jesus redeemed me from my sin. Jesus redeemed us from our sin. This church is a collection of sinners and the sick who are at a dinner party who Jesus came to to heal. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And if that sounds like the type of church you wanna be a part of, we say welcome. We say welcome. Because the great physician has shown up to the dinner party of our lives. And he has brought healing. And he has brought redemption. And he has brought transformation in our lives to where we are no longer the same because we are brand new in Jesus. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I am so thankful he showed up. Let's stand together. I'll share with you one last sentence here and then I'll remind you in our reading plan as we continue. As we look at these first 15 verses, as we think about the gospel as a whole, I would share this with you. Christ suffered for you to enter the kingdom of God. So repent of your sins and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and live daily by the Holy Spirit. Christ suffered for you to enter the kingdom of God. So repent of your sins. 
believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and live daily by the Holy Spirit. And as we open up the Word of God in the Gospel of Mark beginning tomorrow and we're all reading these verses together in unity as a church, may this be a great encouragement to us. Christ suffered for us that we might enter into the kingdom of God. Let us repent of our sins. Let us place our full faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord God and Savior from sin. And let us be led by him, by his Holy Spirit, each and every day. Father God, Lord, I am so grateful that you showed up to dinner. Thank you that you showed up to dinner. I am so grateful to be at the dinner party that you showed up to. And I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters here who were at the dinner party. The collection of the sick, the collection of the sinners, and the great physician showed up onto the scene and had dinner with us. And I just want to say thank you, God. We love you. Would you continue the transformational work that you're doing in our lives? And I pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's family said.